We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Ruins podcast. This is episode 214 of the pod alongside the Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. It is a major week. The NBA finals are on. Uh, we've crowned a Stanley Cup champion to no surprise since we last spoke. First and foremost, Matt Rooney, how the hell are you? I'm, I'm podcasting with you on a Friday morning watching major championship golf. I don't, this is, this is great. I got a cup of coffee in my hand. I'm talking to you about sports. I'm watching the British Open. I'm doing that. great. I'm doing great. Open how championship. I'm Open sorry. championship, you uh, casual. Oh, get over yourself. You're a casual. I, 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 <laughs> if there's anything I, you've known about me hate, for a while, it's I'm a casual. More than I hate, uh, more than I hate any misnomer about the tournament. I hate people who are like nose in the air about correcting people uh, about the, the name of the tournament. Joseph, it's, it's, it's the it, British. It's, the, British it's open. the Open. It's the Open Championship. Champion golfer. The year. It's got 17 different names. Uh, it's a blast to watch. That's the common thread through them all. Uh, we're going to dig into it. The tournament currently underway as we record this mid to late round two action. We're going to try and keep this uh, timely as to not date ourselves immediately. We will give you our picks, and those picks are set in stone prior to the mm-hmm. tournament. If you want to take a look uh, over off, at on Moose Twitter. On Twitter. There. We did make those official picks. Um, we'll offer those up in a moment. But, Matt, you kind of jogged my, my memory there, my thought process a bit in the sense of, you know, we always talk about, and we've talked about it here on the pod before, the best beers, you know. Know, uh, a mm-hmm. ball game beer, oh, yeah. a tailgate beer. What about the best cups of coffee? Because the Ooh. the up the up too early to watch the British cup of coffee. Uh, I had the realization really really up there for me. Like like top two and it's not two type uh, favorite coffee. Yeah, I'm like I, I, you're putting me on the spot here because I feel like favorite beers are a little bit easier to come up with. Mm-hmm. This is right up there. I would say this combined where this. Followed by, you know, if if you're on a golf trip and maybe you're you're one of the first ones up before heading to the oh, rooms, yeah, a cup of yeah. coffee, especially in my case or your case now since you're an East Coaster, if you're on like a West Coast golf trip and you're an early riser pre-round, because, because, yeah, pre-round, you, know, you get up at six because the body clock says eight, you get up before everybody else, you have a cup of coffee out on the deck, then you're getting ready for a long day of golf. That's a good one. But I think the uh, British Open Sunday Sunday of the British Open yeah. would be better. But the, yeah. the the British Open cup of coffee. A little too early. I like it's, that. That's a great call. That's way up there. Um, hangover, hangover. Cup of coffee is a good, a good cup of like, like need need the cup of coffee. Hangover, cup of coffee is a good one. Uh, what pa- else? Palace, oh. Palace Grill on a Sunday morning. Just that first cup of black coffee you get from there. That, that you know what? For me. That, you that know one's what, personal though. That one, yeah, that one. You know, there's an overlap of best beer and best coffee. You know, Ooh. best beer, tailgate beers way up there, mm-hmm. but. If we're getting out to the tailgate early after a long night on Saturday for a noon kick for the Bears, that cup of coffee is important too. Tailgate coffee might not be your might not be your the best beans or the the best flavor cup of coffee. Maybe it's scooped up at Starbucks on the way. Maybe someone's got like one of the Instapots out mm-hmm. of the tailgate. Important cup of coffee, and that one is to be enjoyed out of a white styrofoam cup and only a white styrofoam. I would agree cup with that. See that one. That one worries me. Simply because coffee usually tends to have a very quick 
quick acting effect on me. So yeah, in, in that yeah. case for me, if I'm out after, especially if it's been a rough night, you know, 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. in the parking lot, not sure I'm going with coffee just for yeah. strictly personal purposes. That's a good point. Yeah. That's but that's point. just me. That's just me. Doesn't, you doesn't got affect your, everybody that you got your You got your halftime at the high school game coffee because that, that kind of jogged my memory, the styrofoam cup there. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where, you know, it used to be, you know, go down and get a hot cocoa because it's October. We're talking about, you know, late season, big time moments in the CCL. Maybe you need a cup of coffee if you're in the stands. There's a lot of good cups of coffee out there, but the Open Championship Tweet us yours. Right tweet us your them. best cups. Tweet us your, favorite cup, tweet us your favorite cup of coffee. Uh, but we do have to talk about the tournament in and of itself. Matt, let's, let's begin with our picks here uh, before we get to a little bit what we've seen, what we enjoy, this, that, and the other. Um, I, I really just took the honors. I, I just, just kind of fired should. off a tweet. You won the last just one. fired so. off a tweet. I did win the last one. So with that, my pick to win the Open Championship is one Jordan Spieth. Um, he was my favorite to my long shot, uh, which we defined by 40 to 1 or longer, which was some really good value, 40 to 1 or longer yeah. here at this tournament. Um, Justin Rose was my long shot. So I'm a Spieth-Rose uh, team right now uh, at the current juncture, both well under par, but we're not going to date this, like I said. Both of our long shots are actually in pretty good shape now. I, again, this is a tad dated, but your mm-hmm. Rose was three under after one. He bogeyed mm-hmm. one, so he's now back, but still one over or one. I'm sorry, two under, one over on the round. You've no idea where this is going to go, especially if the winds kick up. I got Scotty Scheffler; he's hanging in there. I've been a little bit disappointed with Brooks. Um, yeah. Brooks, Brooks was my favorite, and I think he was. Uh, I, I want to say, you know, looking around the the internet universe picks all that you kind of saw jordan and brooks is is two big names that were the pretty popular you know big name guys being picked jordan's lived up to brooks just can't really seem to find that consistency right now i mean you you saw his first the first five or six today i think it's through the first six he had only made one par so he was really kind of bouncing around there It, it was almost like uh everyone and even vegas had it john rom uh, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, everybody else. But it, there was such a big berth between Rahm and, and even DeChambeau. And I didn't mm-hmm. understand the I didn't understand the DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson numbers because neither's playing good golf right now. So I, I doubt they took any action on those guys at like 13, 14, 15 to 1. But mm-hmm. next closest, I mean, or top of the board was John Rahm, who was 7 to 1. I mean, you're talking about double odds on the next closest guy. Vegas essentially said it's Rom versus the field almost with those numbers. And I didn't really buy into that. Yes, he's a Spaniard. He loves the game overseas. His game travels. He's won on four different continents. Um, he's now a Mapian having just come off the U.S. Open. But that almost made me want to fade uh, Rom in a way because – Winning back-to-back majors is something we see so rarely. And yeah, maybe a guy's game is really going. But at the same time, there's a little extra weight to that. Um, probably not in your normal swing of, uh, of, of your practice and your preparation. Um, maybe he got back to that. But yeah, there was, a, there was a week of celebration on the tail end of that mm-hmm. that gets you away from your game for a little bit. All of the uh, media and family and all the asks that come along with becoming a first-time major champion. I just thought that maybe this would be a little too tall of a task for John Rahm. The first couple days of the tournament have uh, proved that to be, um, to be the case, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, a lot of guys, a lot of big names kind of floating around. Um, you got your speeds. You got your Morikawas. But, uh, Matt, as to not, again, date this, what have you made thus far of Royal St. George's, the test out there? Just 
sort of the love affair that we have here with the Open Championship where we we almost change gears for a week and say, hey, this is how golf's supposed to be played. I, personally, it's so refreshing and enjoyable for me. I, lo- I love Link style golf. I love watching the British Open because you, you see the creativity. You see the bumps in the course. You see the fescue. This course for me I think has been fine. I don't think it's been all that – spectacular i would love to see it if we get on the weekend and the wind start to pick up because mm-hmm. i think that's always as you see with the links course kind of the main defense um really haven't seen too much of that I, I think this is a little bit uh maybe nitpicky but i was uh talking with friend of the pod matt seager a little bit earlier this morning i think my biggest complaint about the course is for a course that's along the water you really don't have and i'm not saying you'd take the water into play or make a keo or you know keo island but like that that water really isn't you know, taken into you know views or your or the course doesn't really run along it at all. I, I would I would have liked so, to seen that. I know it's an old course. And, you know, maybe it was built when the water wasn't that close. Not really sure. You might have an answer. That's other way around. My, my other point. way around. Actually, oh, um, okay. My understanding of the situation is it's marshland right there, um, coastal marshland. So you can't build on the marshland. There used to be an estuary, uh, a runoff there. Um, that a couple of the holes did run along the estuary where you did have water features along it in the early 1900s. But the terraforma, the land has developed and it is pretty much inland now. Um, to your point, it, it doesn't really have coastal exposure. Um, you're about, I believe, like a mile technically off the ocean, okay. half mile off the ocean at the closest point where there used to be some water run up to it. Um, but the land and the way it's developed has built almost away from it. Some storms, I think, um, forced them to – I don't know if they dammed it or whatever they did, but um, they've sort of protected the course from the ocean. Um, it never was It never was a Tory Pines, hey, you yeah. got five, you got a five-hole stretch that runs along the ocean type situation. So I think being that close to the ocean, you still welcomed the uh, – the elements of it all and the coastal winds and uh-huh. the sideway rain that you can get there, but it's Lynx golf. So I don't necessarily need um, coastal exposure to get the full experience of what I want out of Lynx golf. Um, I would, you, uh, you're it, used it, to it the elements. Good, I, I, I just like we were talking. I, we might not see we them get, this week. I we know. Might not see them, it, I don't want to say it's disappointing because you can't, I can't be disappointed in a course because the wind doesn't kick up or because it's not cloudy, a little bit raining, but I just feel like that's always a big part of the British is you get one of those days where it's just, you know, chaos ensues because of those elements. And it's just a huge factor in, in the Lynx style. Prior, prior to the week, the uh, over under on winning score at William Hill, I believe it was six all week may have closed at six and a half under par. Okay. Um, and again, to date ourselves here where, while we're, Recording this podcast, the lead sits at nine under, belonging to Colin Morikawa. He's through two full rounds. So there's going to have to be some weather if that score is going to come anywhere back to where Vegas had the number set. So it's been a much more um, it's been a much more docile championship. It's been a much more um, you know manageable championship to this point, uh, with there not being a ton of weather. The wind is expected to you know, stiffen and get a little bit more brisk over the weekend. But I don't know that we see any of those sideways winds uh-huh. like we saw on Saturday in 2011 that really separated the field. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to – is there anybody so far, again, again, not to date ourselves, that is kind of disappointed <laughs> this weekend? This, this is the not to date you, ourselves. No, but, but you can also, through a round and a half, now 
pretty accurately pick out a disappointment because if you look towards the bottom of the leaderboard, that kind of messed up early, they're probably not going to come back and win. See, I was going to say someone disappointed me for a different reason. Louis Ustazen okay, dis- has disappointed me because he's he's injected himself right to the lead once again, and we can't even give him credit for it because we know what's going to happen. He's going to be there, second to last group, final pairing on Sunday, whatever it may be, and he's going to go away like he has in almost every major over the last two years. And I love Louis, and I root for Louis. And if there's going to be anywhere where he gets his second career win, well, it's going to be another Open Championship because mm-hmm. that's, again, his lone win on tour, which blows my mind, is an Open Championship, I believe, 2009 I'm a little bit disappointed that that Louis U stays and is again setting us up for heartbreak. It's a fun story, though. It's, it keeps you, you. You wake up. I, I woke up yesterday morning, and he was one of the good early on Louis guys, for stacking saw, some chips too, man. Yeah, I already saw him already six hundred. It's like, all right, cool. Like, it's one of those majors. We're just going to keep seeing Louis at the bottom, and then wonder what happens to him on Sunday. Uh, we do have to address the Bryson situation. I, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I carry. I don't know if I carry disappointment with it. I kind of carry happiness and joy because it's like watching uh, an action sequence where, like, the villain is like, you know, the explosion. The villain's not going to make it out in time. Mm-hmm. Um, type situation. And Bryson, uh, after his, uh, what did he shoot on? Two over, three it's one over. over. He's he one over. He's one now over. two over. One over on Thursday. He's three over the tournament now, not to date ourselves. Um, he's, but following his one over opening round, comes to the podium and starts railing about how the driver sucks and Cobra can't figure it out. We've tried seven different pro- prototype heads. We're trying to, you know, keep these speed numbers up and make it controllable, and we're trying to get better results off the miss hits. And, and he's just literally airing out his club providers and airing out a company that puts millions of dollars of research and development into his harebrained scheme of trying to play the game differently. I've completely gone bad on Bryson, uh, no pun intended with the bad, but um, he is a guy that I've said it before. It's interesting to watch people do things differently, no matter the discipline, no matter the sport. I root or I, I don't root for him anymore. I can't anymore, but I was pulling for, the guy who was trying to do things his own way and maybe not necessarily break the game of golf, but approach it from a different way. But that approach has gone sour. He's now over the last month, he's fired his caddy. He's attacked the tour for their um, camera placement. He's now come at his club provider. He's pointing the finger at everybody else. And I think the most telling phrase there isn't that the driver sucks, I think the telling phrase there is we're trying to get better results off the miss hits. Well, Bryson, stop, his, stop miss hitting or stop playing a five-degree driver. It's not that's Cooper's. not that's not golf. You're you've you've taken the room for error out of the game because you're swinging the club 210 miles an hour and you got it tuned down to five and a half degrees and you play a draw where drivers are designed now to play cut and favor cut. Like what are you, you're, he's trying to fit a round peg into a square hole and it's not going to work. And he needs to look in the mirror and say, okay, either I need to change some things or I need to, uh, he that that's the only option he needs to change because the clubs aren't going to change to favor him just to haul off and swing it no matter how he hits it it goes straight that's not like that's not golf he's trying to take the he's trying to take the variability out of the game where that's really what separates good golfers from great golfers and i think right now Bryson DeChambeau in his scientific approach to everything 
he's gone from a great golfer to a good golfer. Yeah, it's it's like the first time something went wrong. It's more like I I applaud him, like you said. I, I loved watching him early uh, when when golf was the first sport to come back, and he was trying to change the game, do things differently. That was awesome. It was fun to watch. It still had been kind of fun to watch, but now the first sign of things kind of going wrong, there being a hip, hiccup in his plan, he's so just arrogant and and. I guess arrogant might be the only word. Such an but uh, gonna, see, I don't, I don't like, call it, I don't call it arrogance because it can't be to my me, fault. It has to be the club's fault. It has to be something else's fault. It's not the fact that I'm trying to swing 200 miles he's an hour. Like, that's not what golf's meant to be. He's almost more detached from reality than he is that's arrogant a good, that, because that's fair. because in a way, arrogance arrogance requires a certain level of self awareness that Bryson DeChambeau does not possess. Yeah. Like it's like all of us are seeing you this way. All of us are watching you do these dumb things and say these dumb things and put your foot in your mouth and fire your caddy and do all these different things. But you you don't see what we're seeing in yourself. You don't see these issues. You don't see these um, problems. You don't see that, that you're focusing your attention on everything but the golf. Like it's, it's just really – it's worn thin on just about everybody, even the people that pull for him. And what better place for him to be exposed than the Open Championship where the artist is favored over the scientist. And yeah. I think this is where we're seeing the scientist exposed for what he is and the fraudulent nature of the way that he does things. I'm going to be honest with you. We talked about it two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago on the podcast, and neither of us were all that concerned about it. I'm starting to get concerned about him in September, about where his head's going to be for the Ryder Cup, about how his teammates are going to feel about him if we can get things right. Like I'm, I'm starting to get legitimately concerned about where he fits because he's going I'm to banking. make he's going I, to make the team. I was concerned. I'm starting. It, it was concerned, but like he was still playing very well. I, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm, you know, my, I've, I've. It's a red flag now for me. It's, it's but, not just and, like an eyebrow razor. It, it's almost, it's almost, I've almost come around on it and I've almost flipped on it. Like, okay, everybody in the U.S. locker room knows what Bryson is, what he isn't. They know he's not going to be a team guy. They know he's not um, going to be the easiest guy to deal with. But you can deal with that. What you can't deal with is a guy playing poor golf on the Ryder Cup team. Mm-hmm. Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, whoever it is. If you're on the Ryder Cup team, you have to be in good form. Bryson's not in great form right now. I don't think he's going to get in the way of Brooks executing. I don't think he's going to get in the way of other guys succeeding. But the simple fact that he's not playing good golf makes him a problem. On the yeah, I mean, if, if he's playing the way he is, you know, last year when he's winning the U.S. Open and, and, and still being really a well jerk, top, fine. Okay, you can live with that. But it's it's, it's same goes for any sport in any locker room. You know, when when Terrell Owens is catching touchdown passes and leading the NFL and receiving yards, all that kind of stuff, he's a lot more tolerable as a teammate. When he gets old, isn't worth it, all that kind of stuff, that's when these things start to become a problem. Not that Bryson's old by any means, but he's not playing well, and it's going to become a problem if he keeps not playing well, because then his antics and his his personality become not worth it, but he's also played well enough to earn himself that automatic spot. People forget. People forget. Terrell Owens played the Super Bowl with a broken leg. I do not forget that. Still oh, led the game in receptions and yards, I believe. Um, you're not you're not supposed to be reacting to the live. You're I not just, supposed to be no, reacting sorry. to what you're watching. He just Matt. he just he just doesn't live stream. He just shoved one off the tee at number three. Oh, 
God. Um, you got any other open championships? We're going to have a full recap, obviously, next week. We'll yeah. probably do the pod a little bit earlier in the week, um, programming we, issue. We were, we I'm, were just te- I'm literally telling you about the programming uh, issue sure. on the podcast. That's now. how we I'm usually coming home next. I'm coming, I'm coming home next week, and I fly out Wednesday, so I'm we can do a Tuesday pod. It yeah. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. Oh, this wasn't on the rundown, but how about Italy? How about the Italians? You jump on. Were you were you jacked up on on on, on the on the Euro final there? Matt? I well, I was. What else was on that? There was a Sox game on as well, so I was kind of uh, flipping back. Jose Al, Jose Altuve walked off during PKs. It was it was crazy if you had him on next week. I, I did not. Unfortunately, were you at work? And that's why you had. Yeah, we had every, we had everything that, on. See, and we had some Yankees fans there. We had some Yankees fans there that were like freaking out about that. We had our soccer crew there that was freaking about. It was a high energy room. It was a high there, energy room. There are a lot of complaints you can have sometimes about the hours and the, the the weird days and stuff you're working in sports. But there is something that that's one of the biggest perks of the job is on big sports days like that. You have as many TVs as you want, yeah. pretty much at our your disposal, and you have seven different things star. on. It's fantastic. I yeah. love it. I did watch a little bit though. I was. Uh, I was. I was sitting in the apartment with Alyssa. We had had a wedding the day before, so we were just kind of hanging out, watching sports, and she saw Italy was in the final and said we had to watch it, being the good Italian girl that she is. That's it. Got that many vowels in your last name. It, it comes It comes with It comes with the, you know, that, that's part of the gig. You know, I made sure to speak in several hand gestures as I was talking about Italy. That's all really we ask. using the active hands. That's all we ask. Uh, yeah. some, cured, some cured meats and, and a nice full-bodied uh, red wine is, we, if you want to take it to the next level. We had a nice pizza for dinner. That Okay. That, yeah, a little Americanized, but okay. Yeah, okay. it's, you know, you get it. We'll take it. Um, that's your Euro breakdown. But, Matt, do you have any uh, open championship thoughts before we move on to some other topics here? Because it was a very, very active week across the world of sports. Um, I don't think so. You sticking with Jordan's still your guy right now? Obviously, in the, con- in the contest, Come on. he is. Jordan's on. your guy? Okay. Yeah. He's also the only ticket that I'm holding with actual uh, – dollars attached to so we're we're all in on on the speed uh oh, comeback wait. completed here we i want to not necessarily open but it, it yeah it's how he's playing in the open but also going forward i'm, I'm kind of getting concerned here with justin thomas we talked about him in the last couple of weeks i don't yeah. know what's like he's not playing bad because he's not like no. missing cuts and he's not you know shooting 75 but like this was um, just off with him this he's, was a big this was a big fade for me this week, JT. You know, yeah, I think I JT not, in I almost any sort of it. I did not touch he, um, it. takes a certain temperament here that he does not possess. We kind of talked about John Rahm in the vein of being like, you know, this fiery guy who need to figure out his emotions before he can succeed. Mm-hmm. I think we need to start talking about Justin Thomas that way. And yes, he's a major champion already. He's already won, what, 10 tournaments in his career, something like yeah. that, 12 tournaments. He's already well-established. It's not like he's got to figure out things before he can succeed. But I think to get back to his world number one type level of dominance, he does need to figure out some things. Um, between the ears. Between the ears, yeah. The, the, the six the inches ears. between his ears, I think, are getting – because he is supremely talented. I think if you pull these guys on tour and you ask them, you know, who has the most complete game? I think you're you're going to get a lot of guys who still say Justin Thomas. For some reason, like everybody believes in Xander Shoffley, even though he hasn't won anything yet. But like to the point of Justin Thomas, I think that it's all there physically. I think it's just kind of figuring a couple things out and getting into the best mental space to go call upon those things physically. Mm-hmm. Now let's just let's just get it figured out by September. That's all I want. Yeah. That's it. Um, that's I, I put out this is a perfect segue here into our next topic. Uh, UFC. Oh wait, Marcel Seam. We're big Marcel Seam fans. Love okay, that guy. Okay. The German um, dude. Did you see? I, I put out a, a a fantastic meme that I made myself. That uh, very proud to see you. it. 
that that uh, moves on air. It was Joe Rogan sitting next to Conor McGregor after he had broken his leg in the octagon, and it was Conor like holding the mic, saying something. And on Joe Rogan, it said "my fiance," and on Conor, it said "me venting about the team dynamic in the U.S. Ryder Cup room." Mm, so I did like see that, that was like that was, good. that was like me. That was me worried about. But let's talk about UFC 264 and the broken ankle of uh, Conor McGregor, Matt. I know you were dialed into that one, as were many others. It was um, you know it's always a point with television when Conor takes the octagon, but again. A Connor fight ending in an unceremonious uh, matter. This time he loses, breaks his ankle. Now, that first round was action-packed. Uh, Connor was very multiple in the way he was attacking, throwing lots of kicks, um, landed a couple punches. Then the fight goes to the ground. Dustin's throwing some punches and landing some good punches and elbows from the top. Connor's throwing elbows back from the bottom. Probably, I think a lot of a lot of the judges had it scored 10-9 Poirier in that first round. Mm-hmm. All the momentum was on his side. We'll never know what round two would have looked like. We'll never know if there would have been a round three um, because of the broken leg of Connor. So I guess I'll ask it this way, Matt. Do you need to see Conor McGregor fight anymore? You know, I I, I would still it would, tune in it would this stink, fight. It would stink to end like that. Yeah, and that's why like we talked about how uh, was it last week on the pod that you know he was fighting for his maybe not career but relevant career. Just mm-hmm. now, I didn't. I was as I said, I was at a wedding. Friend of the pod, Chris Sims, got married. Fantastic celebration on Saturday night. So I was was not quite as dialed in as you were. I did go back and watch some of the stuff, but was not watching in real time like you were. I'm not sure. I mean, he lost round one, like you said, didn't have the momentum, but. I'm not sure a broken foot causing a you know a, a knockout or whatever TKO whatever they they a broken ruined. leg whatever broken leg the foot was the what was what turned it was the leg that was broken I'm not sure that injury no, that, 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 that was the, that was the that was the leg broken Matt that was him that was nothing happened to his ankle that was the a broken tibia okay. that that he like stepped on I'm just saying you know, it's I, a lot more serious than a Liz all, no so what fracture. no so what I okay I I, I so thank you for correcting me all I'm saying is I'm not sure that the injury really confirms that he's not Connor anymore. If that makes sense. I I don't think he is. I don't think he's the the guy he's going to be the guy he ever was, but it's not like he went out out there and got knocked out in round two or tapped in round two and looked completely outclassed. Yeah. He lost round one, but he he broke his leg. Like there's, it's not like, you know, it's, it's not because of he's over the hill washed up. He guy broke his leg. So I don't. I, yeah, you're the UFC guy here. I'm just. I'm literally coming here as a, as a kind of a casual and a guy that I, I like watching Conor. I like. I think his what we saw. I think what we saw out of Conor McGregor between the bells showed a guy who still has it. Shows a guy who can still fight. Showed a guy who still um, embraces the moment in the cage. Mm-hmm. Everything outside of that showed me a guy who is shaken. A, a man who. Yeah operated with supreme confidence and belief. A man who said, I'm going to walk into the octagon and Jose Aldo is going to present his chin to me and I'm going to hit him with a counter right hand and I'm going to win the belt. And then he said, I'm going to win two belts and I'm going to be the first ever champion. He was, he was literally speaking things into existence because mm-hmm. he had the full power of his belief. I don't think Conor McGregor believes in himself as much anymore. I think it's, I think he's a think little right. bit too, I think he's a little bit cons- too consumed with 
um, public perception of Conor McGregor than he ever was before. And I'm not saying don't get your teeth fixed and don't get some beautiful veneers. I'm not saying don't get a little Botox on your forehead because you want to look good for the proper 12 commercial. I'm not saying don't um, be in the the $5,000 suits and don't be doing this and don't be doing that because that's all part of being a superstar athlete. Mm -hmm. I'm not pushing back on any of that, but I think there's a little bit too much worry about the public perception of Conor McGregor by Conor McGregor for Conor McGregor to ever be Conor McGregor again, if that makes any sense. I think that, I think that he's outside of himself right now and and he's only successful. It's like Rocky three. He got, he started buying into himself a little bit too much and lost the edge. And not that Conor McGregor can't find that edge other places, but his his strong suit was always just as much of his striking. It was his supreme confidence in oneself. And I'm not sure. And I, it, it felt like in the buildup to the fight and then after the fight sitting there injured, it, it struck me as a man who was trying to convince himself of things, was trying to convince himself that he still – um, puts holes in dudes' heads, was trying to convince himself that he was the favorite in the fight, was trying to convince himself that he was going to be back because this broken leg is a fluke. He, it just, it no longer strikes me as a man who's speaking things into existence. It struck me as a man trying to speak things into, like, like he was trying to believe, like he didn't have that baseline belief. He's trying to convince himself. And, and until he does, I, I don't need to see him again. And he broke his leg. He's not going to be back and ready to fight for a year minimum. That puts him at 34 and a half years old. I, just go sell your whiskey, man. Like, like I, I know he's still the biggest draw in fight sports, and the pay-per-view numbers will probably bear that out. But there's plenty of amazing fighters and great storylines in the UFC right now that we are going to play witness to, that we are privileged to watch. Now, are, those, are any of those going to be Conor McGregor-level um, moments and experiences. No, but that's, but that's the, that's the, the dual edge. That's the dual edge sport sword is when we get these all time greats. And yes, Connor was not a 10 year period. It was more of a five year period of dominance and amazing moments, but like it's the tiger woods paradox of like, who's the next tiger. We don't have to go looking for the next tiger. We don't have to go looking for the next Connor. That person's going to present itself when that moment is there. Right now, enjoy the field. Enjoy the John Rahms. Enjoy the Sean O'Malley's. Enjoy the enjoy the uh, depth in the roster and the UFC rather than looking for the next blockbuster star. Because there might be a point where we don't have that blockbuster star for a little bit, and that's okay. Conor McGregor's highlights will forever live on YouTube. You can always go watch them. They're still going to be great. But asking that, asking this guy to be that guy, I think that that's a that's a thankless task for everybody involved, for the fans and for Conor. Yeah, I think you're right. That just because we got a Conor for five years or whatever it is, probably even longer than that, not as the elite Conor, but like those guys don't always just replace each other one after another. They're, they're once in a generation, sometimes even more than that. So to expect I mean, one guy to take the mantle and be the next Conor, like you said, we're not always going to find that guy, but similar to how we talked about in golf, like you talked about with the UFC, there's a lot of guys, not not just one, that are kind of ready to emerge and take the sport and kind of grow the game by how good they are in the octagon. There's not just you know one or two guys we're looking for. And those those pay-per-views are the only ones worth buying, just about every one now because of how the sport's grown, because of how much talent there is. I mean, it's, think it's, about it's it. It's worth the buy. From 
Israel Adesanya to some of the absolute bruisers in the heavyweight division to the idea of John Jones maybe even coming back to the idea of um, this lightweight or yeah the lightweight belt that somebody's got it you know Poirier is he going to go take it off of uh, Charles Oliveira um, you got Chandler just came over from uh, he's had a couple fights since coming over from. Um, Bellator, like there's so many dudes, and and to Amanda Nunes's credit, and Rose Nami Yunus's credit, some females on the roster that mm-hmm. you know are really really exciting. I mean, take the name recognition away from it. If you want to see someone go in there in the cage and operate with supreme confidence, there's more than a handful of folks doing that right now. So I, I mean, it might be time for for Connor to take his bow and us to just kind of respect him for what he did and not ask him to do any more. I think well, that's where I'm at with Conor McGregor. All right, I feel like we usually save our mailbags for the end of the show, but I feel like this is a good time to get our mailbag in there, if that's okay with you. I talked mm-hmm. about it with you before the show. A friend of the podcast, Mike Rooney, was asking about uh, your guy, Sean O'Malley, who fought mm-hmm. um, one of the fir- was one of the earlier fights on the card, but we've talked about you've talked about how good he is, how electric he is, how he had, his one loss was when he had that broken leg other than that he's been a pretty dominant fighter when do you see his rise to main event fights title shots all that kind of stuff um it's coming i, I know just three fights ago he suffered a loss to uh who was it it was wasn't that the, it wasn't his only loss though when he broke his leg he, no, he didn't there? break his leg he hurt. had a foot he hurt. yeah hurt. He, he got hurt and um but he was I mean, he was in a fight there, and he's now on a – because of some of the shots, I guess the doctors assessed him after the fight, and they put him on a uh, six-month fight embargo after this fight too, which, I mean, he was absolutely just beating the brakes off of uh, – uh, I I'm don't remember the guy's name, but he, he yeah. just absolutely killed him. Yeah, and I was very surprised to see – it was uh, Chris Moutinho, excuse me. He just absolutely tuned up Chris Moutinho. He lost to Marlon Vera two fights ago, so that kind of – set things off course and a lot of he's 14 one and oh uh a lot of those 14 fights were early on and against nobodies and he's building up to the point where he can start asking for a title shot where he can start calling for it because he fights at 135 uh that belt currently belongs to aljamain sterling be an awesome fight to see um because there's really not at that bantamweight level uh a brand name, not like I just said, we don't need brand names, but um, Sean O'Malley, no doubt, is is a pay-per-view attraction that can yeah. sell some of those tickets, even more than a Peter Jan, more than an Aljamain Sterling. Um, I think he's, I think he's almost ready. I think maybe one, two more fights, and you're you're talking about Sean O'Malley as a headliner or co-main event with a belt on the line type situation. Um, now that I'm looking at the that I'm looking at the current winnings uh, or current uh, belt holders, got Aljamain Sterling there at 135, Alexander Volkanovski at 145, Charles Oliveira at 55, Kamaru Usman at 70, Adesanya at 85, Jan Blahovitz at 205, Francis Ngannou at 265. Like th- there's some monsters on the roster right now that mm-hmm. are worth the pay per view. Um, so, but to your question, to the mailbag question of when is it John O'Malley's turn? Soon, definitely soon. Um, but he uh, he's had to build that resume, and I think he's done everything that you could ask a guy to do in building a resume. He did take that one step back; injury was involved, but 
just the way he, he's such a, and I know I've made the comparison here on the podcast before. He's such a nuanced striker that it reminds you a lot of Connor that he can throw from these weird spots and he can, um, he can throw punches at you when you're least expecting it because he can throw it from his hip and not just from his shoulder. Like he's just a really, really special talent when it comes to striking. Does he need to build out some of his other skill sets? Yeah, he looked a little shaky maybe on his back, um, but a lot of times the great strikers don't have the most comprehensive ground game. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a give and a take there, but it, it's coming. And I think, um, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun when it does come, uh, when when we do see uh, Sean O'Malley there uh, trying to fight for a belt because he's got the podcast, he's got the dyed hair, he's got the um, he's got the edge about him. He's, he's everything you want in, in a guy to – carry one of those belts and, and, and in turn carry, you know, the UFC with them. Uh, I love the answer. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, where do you um, want to go now? We got a lot of, we got a few places. We can go yeah. We had the all-star game. We had the all-star game, major league baseball. Let's talk a little major league baseball, all-star game. Maybe talk a little bit, uh, second half predictions and prognostications. Uh, how'd you, how'd you come away from, uh, the midsummer classic feeling? We had Pete Alonso as the, uh, home run derby champion. Alonso and we electric. had, we had the AL winning their eighth straight uh, game there on the shoulders of Vladdy Jr. Uh, I, I, I watched, I think, both of them almost in their entirety. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't usually turn on the All-Star game, but I was, for whatever reason, pretty intrigued by it this year. I think it was probably because of the slew of White Sox that were in it. Right Now, not all of them really got their chance in there, but it was it was fun to see those guys in there. The home run derby, though, I had a blast watching. I, I thought it was but my only complaint with that going forward is I would love to see the matchups be lost in that first round because you have guys hitting like 24 home runs and not advancing and then someone advancing on like 16 or 17. I don't necessarily yeah, like that. I think Salvi Perez hit 28 yeah. and he had the second highest Alonzo, total who hit like 34. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Pete Alonzo, I think, is just become one of those guys that now has to be in the home run derby every year and i'm just not sure he's gonna lose again for a long it was like time someone someone made pete alonzo in a lab for the home run derby he, he was built for it it was automatic it was he, uh, automatic and he never the swing is built for it he's yeah he's got that like tree trunk body that i think makes it uh you know he's not overweight so the endurance isn't an issue but he's like beefy enough to he's where thick. he can tap into some of that protein synthesis and mm-hmm. just hit balls a quarter mile. Um, no, a lot of, lot of fun in the Derby. And then I, I was really, and to your point too, I've never really been like a, a got to watch the all-star game yeah. start to finish guy. And it was the only, it was our main coverage that night because it was the only game. And um, it was a lot of fun. And I think that it was, um, it gave me a, a sense of optimism about the game of baseball that maybe I didn't have prior to that game. Like, yeah, I, I understand the fact that these guys are all out there every given night doing their thing, but they have all this young talent on the same field from Vladdy Jr. to Tatis to, I know Shohei's 27, but he's still younger, he's still new yep. on our minds. Yep. Um, you got so, the game is in, is, is in great hands right now. And it, you still had, you know, the fun scenes of like Vladdy hitting the comeback at Scherzer and going to give him a hug. But there's a sense of a competitive, like I, I it's a it's a layup way to go about it. It's a layup comment, but like these young kids, I feel like have the perfect respect and understanding for both the game and the entertainment factor that's required. They told that line so nicely, and I just came away from it feeling really optimistic 
about like the future of baseball to to paint with a broad brush. Yeah, it was nice to. Uh, they know they always do the the in game interviews with some guys in the field. It was nice getting to hear Fernando Tatis see uh, see him do that interview because I, I didn't really ever know the guy other not that I, I didn't really know the guy other than seeing him you know his highlights at home runs didn't really get a sense for that personality he has a perfect perfect personality to kind oh, of be the face of baseball going forward good down-to-earth kid really good still competitive as hell um he, he's the, it, it was nice kind of like you said seeing that younger generation kind of be ready to take and the mantle because they need to. i'd rather i'd rather not get into the boneheaded comments made earlier in the week by Stephen a smith about showing oh, yeah, and it being bad that he's the face of baseball because he needs a translator it doesn't matter dude you have you have fernando tatis jr who's bilingual you have shohei otani who can understand english but still struggling to speak it a little bit but these guys their game speaks for itself i i, I don't need I just need that flash. I need that swagger in between the chalk. Like baseball is not a sport where I'm looking for these guys to be dating Kardashians and have this yeah. pop culture imprint. Go do it on the field, and that's more than enough. And what these guys are doing on the field has been so entertaining this year moving forward. We're really lucky to have this young group of stars, and um, Vladdy Jr. wins the MVP of the game. He becomes they become the Guerreros, uh, become the third group of father sons to hit home runs in the All Star game. Can you name the other two? The Griffies for sure. Yep. Um, Bonds, the Bonses. Yep. I feel okay. like you saw that and you no, just faked like you didn't I, see no, that. No, I saw the. I knew, that sounded I, like bad acting. I that sounded the, like really I bad saw, acting. So I'm calling the, you on it. I saw the Griffey stat on Twitter. I don't think I saw the Bonds one. The Griffeys, the Bonds, and the Guerreros, father just, sons that have homered in the All Star game. The Pretty Bonses cool. are literally the only other father son pairing that, that I can think, of. That's, think of. that's why that's I threw that out there. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, a lot of fun at the All Star game. Let's talk about the second half. I would have liked to see Tim Anderson getting at bat. I'm just going to say it. I'd have and Kevin, to see that. well, Kevin Cash came to the podium. He said, "The one thing that I did not do that's going to make me sick is I didn't get Tim Anderson at bat." So like, he was Xander didn't need three at bats. Yeah, yeah, but, but that's it. Whatever. That's all. That's um, a, that's my only. I like. My only I like my players. I like my players to be coming out, uh, coming down the stretch fresh. Not to say that one at bat would have. Oh, uh, yeah. Would have ruined the second half for Tim Anderson, but who knows what could have happened. Let's talk about the second half because we have not been able to be excited about a second half of baseball no, in quite weird. some time. Um, give me your NL pennant winner. Give me your AL pennant winner. Give me your Cy Youngs. Give me your MVPs. I mean, uh, I, it, this is we're both White Sox fans. The White Sox are eight games ahead in the division. I, I'm not going to second not, me. Not, second me for the White Sox. I'm not going to not put the White Sox in the World Series as the AL rep. I think I'm it's just, White Sox Dodgers, and I understand that the Dodgers. Are aren't the division leaders. Uh, a lot of people are kind of like going with a sexy in vogue pick of the Brewers. Um, I still think the Dodgers yeah. are the best team in the National League. I think it's Dodgers, White Sox, in the World Series. The Dodgers are getting to the point where like you just kind of don't bet against them because yeah. that, that's one you're willing to to be wrong about. I don't like I, I don't see any like the San Francisco Giants have been great this year. It's, it's a nice story. I just that lineup I don't care what they're doing right now. That lineup can't keep doing this forever. I don't think that mm-hmm. pitching staff can keep doing what they're doing forever. I just, I if they do, great. I'd probably rather see them in a World Series matchup than the LA Dodgers. I, I think it's going. I, I think you're going to see the Dodgers and Padres play in the playoffs, and I think whoever comes out on top in that series goes. I will. I will say the Dodgers 
because I, like I said, I'm not going to quite bet against them yet. But uh, I think for the next little while here, you're just going to see the Dodgers and Padres kind of go back and forth, and the Padres are that team that keeps trying to eclipse Big Brother. Plus, I think a playoff so, series between those two would, if oh, they were in the NLCS, that would be the best possible thing for baseball. Their, because their regular have, season matchups are amazing. They, like they to are. See that, and, I hope it's Dodgers-Padres. I hope it goes seven, and I hope game seven goes to 30 innings and the White Sox wait for a tired team. I would love that. That'd be ideal. <laughs> uh, uh, let's talk about some individual honors. Cy Young on the NL side of things, it's said and done. It's really yeah, it's, just it's where Jacob's. Jacob DeGrom's going to position himself amongst history if he can have the lowest ERA. I believe lowest ERA of all time was one six. Uh, one one six. Mm-hmm. The ground's currently a one oh eight, so flirting right there. Uh, going to be an awesome race to watch. What about AL Cy Young? Because it's a lot less cut and dry. You got two White Sox that could really vie for that award. Garrett Cole made a huge statement in his last start of the first half, going that complete game, he 122 did. pitches against Houston. I- I'm not writing him off by any means, even in a post sticky stuff era. Uh, you got John Means. You got uh, Brandon. Wo- uh, who am I thinking of? Um, Couple guys who have really low ERAs, but none lower than Lance Lynn. I I, I want to I want to take one of the White Sox. I, I really uh, Lance Lynn. I like uh, he's. I think he's a very good starter. I don't think he is the ace of a staff. Yeah, yeah. He's pitched like it. Absolutely, I'm not taking anything away from. Him. I hope he keeps throwing like this. I just think his style, like he's he's a three I mean, types of fastball kind of guy who's. Very okay. potatoes comes right then in. Let's, yeah. Then let's Carlos, talk about Carlos Rodon. Yeah, let's has talk about Cy Rodon. He's been amazing. He's been amazing all year. Sticky stuff thing, you know, happens, and everybody's like, "Oh, well, he's one of the guys." You know, there, there's a reason. Yeah. He's, and he's been every bit as electric as he's been mm-hmm. since that since the the sticky stuff ban. I think if the Sox are running away with the AL, I know Garrett Cole came out and made a big statement against the Astros. I still need to see more out of him because the two starts before that were so like so so bad. I just, I, I need to see more out of him before the face of Spider Tech. I start to believe in once Spider Tech's gone. Mm-hmm. I, I like Carlos Rodon. I don't really see anybody else behind him. Like Shane Bieber, I'm looking as the fourth best odds at plus twenty two hundred. I don't I don't think anyone from Cleveland's necessarily going to win it because I think they'd have to be unbelievably good. Yeah, Bieber's strikeout, Bieber strikeout numbers because that's like his big selling. Yeah, point, he's always got strikeouts per nine innings. But those have Carlos come back to, striking out a those, ton too now. Yeah, those have come back down to earth a little bit um, in terms of Bieber's numbers. But I agree with you with Rodon, not to just be like White Sox homers here, but like this is what Vegas expects. This is what most of the major analysts across America expect, and he's a name that everybody's talking about. And just think about. His journey the last 12 months from being it's non-tendered. The story. He's got the story. From being non-tendered to throwing a no-hitter to dominating throughout, not just a fluky no-hitter, but to dominating throughout mm-hmm. a season to maybe being the ace on a staff who's going to the world's – like it, this This year is the perfect storybook year for Carlos Rodon to win a Cy Young. I just think like the storylines are there. Maybe Rick should start negotiating with him now if he hasn't Maybe already. now I would be I don't want to tell him how to do his job. Maybe, maybe, maybe try and get that not, deal done now. Let's not let this thing get to the offseason. Huh? Yeah. Um, MVP, I think AL MVP, like we said with NL Cy Young, is kind of locked up. I think uh, even if they don't make the playoffs, Shohei Otani is going to win it if he keeps doing even half agree, of what he did in the first half. You. I, I just, agree with I you, but give it to him. I have a but. Okay. I have a but. Congratulations on Will your you be able to make peace with the fact that Vlad Guerrero Jr. hits for the Triple Crown and doesn't win the MVP? 
I don't know that that's ever happened before in, in the history of the game for someone to hit for the triple crown and not win. I'm sure it has because it's baseball and everything's happened, but that's messed up. Like he's, I believe he's first in average, uh, second in home run. Like he's up. I think Otani right leads there. in home runs, right? Otani leads in home runs. Vlad's second in home runs and in RBIs. He leads in average, I believe, is what it is. But okay. he could he could conceivably catch Otani in this race to fifty or sixty or whatever it's going to be down the stretch if Otani goes cold for a week or two. And if he if he runs down Otani in home runs, I get it. Shohei Otani pitches. He plays the field. He takes tickets at Gate D. He hits home runs. I love it. I think he's the MVP. But there, I think I still think that there is a world in which Vladdy catches Otani in home runs, and we got to take a long look at okay, a triple crown versus something we haven't seen before. Which one of those is MVP worthy? I would I would agree with that. I think there's going to be a case for Vladdy, but I, even if they get say I, they're both on pace for. 55 plus uh, Otani's, home runs, I Otani's on pace Otani's on pace for 61 uh, Vladdy's on pace I think for 55 which honestly shows you what an insane pace it takes to eclipse 60 we have 33 home runs at the all-star break and it's on pace for that like that's just to me that's just mind-blowing how so I want to say is. I saw the number the other day what Otani's current over under is and they're Vegas is building in some fatigue I think yeah. the number is like 55 54 and a half or something like that but, um, if Shohei where, Otani, it's just such, it's so hard to, to carry that three, four, five yeah. home runs a week pace throughout a season. I think the I think the answer to your question is that if if Vladdy wins the triple crown, but Shohei Otani hits you know fifty five home runs and is you know up there in RBIs and all that stuff. Oh, oh, by the way, also has an ERA of you know yeah. three three. You, and, you talk and, about and was, have and was someone, sub three and was sub yeah. three until that first inning against the Yankees where he just was like. But dead tired. You're, you're talking about has somebody ever hit a you know hit for the triple crown and not won the MVP? I think my response would be has somebody hit 55 home runs? That's fair. And, and That's done, fair. You know, done what <laughs> he's a, done. And had so, a three three ARA. Yeah, I mean, it, the answer I, I still probably would say if that if Toronto makes the playoffs that I would vote for Vladdy because his team made the playoffs and I think that should mm-hmm. have some weight in an MVP race. But if they don't make the playoffs and, and neither team does, cause I don't think the angels are trending that way either. There's not a wrong answer. I am very okay with either one, whoever you select between those two. Yeah. I think just uh, again, storyline of like never having seen this before since the babe. And even when the babe was doing it, like he kind of was a pitcher at a different point in his career. Like the fact that Otani is doing this in front of us, Maybe the numbers we need to just throw to the side for a second, even if they don't point to him, because uh-huh. it's been special. It's been there's novelty. It's been, it's everything you could ask for in a sports storyline. Something you've not seen before. Something compelling. Uh, the home run being just timeless, and him doing it day in and day out, and then towing the rubber and striking out seven. It's just it's silly. It's silly, and to, to just boil it down to the phrase and get the numbers out of there, most valuable player, well, I don't know how you offer any more value to your team than what Shohei Otani is doing right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, you look at oh, – I want to I pull, up it, pull it up here so I have the exact numbers in front of me, but, like, you, you look at the numbers Otani's putting up and he's competing in home runs. He's also not in the lineup every fifth day. Yeah. He, he's not a guy that's playing six or seven days a week because – that's how it's designed. They, he does. He doesn't hit on the days he pitches, so I, I think that should also be factored into as well. If he's you know hits fifty five home runs while missing every fifth day, I that's that's adds to the impressiveness in my eyes. 
Uh, Matt, we got plenty more to get to here on the Moose and Runes podcast. I know you got things to do today, so let's talk a little bit of NBA Finals uh, as we're recording this. Series tied at 2-2, now just a best of three, heading back to Phoenix. Uh, Vegas currently has the Suns position, I believe it's like minus 140 favorites on the series price Uh Uh, so still a bit of an edge there with the home court advantage no one's won one away from home and that's really going to be whoever can pry one away uh, on the road is going to win this series quite obviously Uh Uh, bucks only have one more uh, two more opportunities to do that phoenix only has one more opportunity to do that they hold home court here on saturday they'll have a chance to win it in milwaukee i believe that would be monday um what have you been most impressed by? Has this been a compelling product for you? Uh, Chris Paul's terrible again. Like, what's what's really jumped off the page? Yet? Giannis. It's it's easy to say. Yeah. I think it's an easy answer, and it probably shouldn't be because you know how good he is. But holy hell, this guy is – he's taken his game to another level, and I think we've talked about it in past years that – you know, come playoff time, the Bucks were kind of easy to stop because once, you know, he pretty much just had the game plan for Giannis. He's absolutely benefited from the fact that Chris Middleton has most of the time become that reliable shooter from the outside. That's a star that people actually have to worry about that they haven't really had to do in the past. And the Drew Holiday edition has been really beneficial for that too because that's the best guard they've had running that team in Giannis's time there. But he's also now taken what they're doing and taken that as well. Now I'm going to get even better. And he had, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not a historic, he's what he's averaging 40 and 10 or, or something close to that. I know he had those in the first um, two games. So he's right he only around had 26 there. last oh, year. So I think he's averaging yeah. like the 30 point range. Gotcha. Uh, he's under like 40 that. now, uh, but, but still the fact that I've the first couple yeah. or the, the two games at home, whatever he's, he's all uh, not a totally healthy knee either. I think he gives them the best chance to steal a game on the road because I love, I, I like the Phoenix suns. Chris Paul's been really good at home. wasn't really the same on the road. I like terrible. I, I love turnovers the last three games. Yeah, I love Devin Booker. I think he's a really, really good player. I don't think he's of that super superstar ilk. And I just, I think the best way to steal a game on the road in the playoffs is to have the best player on the floor and the Bucks so have that every night. It sounds like you're picking the Bucks here. Uh, if they're if they're at plus money, I would probably. Wait, what are their odds? Did you have in front of you said Phoenix was minus? I don't. I think they're plus one sixty. That would probably like that. put. The, I would. I would probably, if I were betting it, bet the Bucks at that plus money. I, I, I would. I would like Suns, to see. Phoenix I still think the win. Suns win this um, because we make these statements day in and day out on the tail end of these games, like mm-hmm. they're like. You know, Devin Booker, not sure that he's as well. Devin Booker could go 40-40, close it out, win an NBA MVP, and then you got to say, that's gosh darn superstar, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's there are legacy moments on the line. Chris Paul's legacy is on the line if he cannot turn it around the way he's played the last two, three games here. Um, he had 41 points and no turnovers in the closeout game of the Clippers. He's had 15 turnovers over the last three games of this series. He's completely forgot how to play basketball. He's not getting to the rim. He's not making the players around him better. And they're still in close ball games. Phoenix is the better basketball team here, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a matter of who's executing, and they did not execute on the road uh, against the Bucks. I think they'll be able to execute back home. I think the Bucks on home hold home court. I think it's Phoenix in seven at home, which would be awesome to watch. That's what um, I'm rooting. I'm rooting for a game seven. I'm not rooting yeah. for anyone in particular. I'd probably rather see the Suns win because I do like Chris Paul, and I think him one. I'd like to see him get that that title too. I would not like his career narrative to be 
choke artist his one chance. He he kind of let yeah. that away because of his terrible play. I just don't think that's, um, that's how a player like that should be remembered. But I just, if I were a betting man, I would I would take the Bucks because of that value. To your Giannis point, regardless of who wins this series, I think that um, you know we know what Giannis is offensively. Yeah, he's trying to add a jumper to his game. Now's not the time, and you've seen him get away from that these mm-hmm. last couple weeks um, and just wing T. CCL blue, three yards in a cloud of dust, playing downhill, get to the rim. And that's not the most stimulating form of basketball offensively, especially in today's day and age where guys are so special and you got guys like KD or seven feet and can shoot it from 35. Like it's Giannis is more Shaq than he is anybody else. Giannis is more Dwight Howard in his prime right now. He's more of a pure center than I think we think of him as. But what's impressed me so much about Giannis that's been so enjoyable for me to watch is two things, and it has nothing to do with offense. It's been at the defensive end of the court, and it's been him at the podium. Listening to that man talk about this moment and what it means to him and what the game – and just talk about basketball and the emotion that he speaks with and the candor that he brings to the microphone that you don't get from a lot of guys. I mean, talk about – not to go back again, but talk about the face of a league – possibly the face of a franchise, no doubt. Um, And a guy who is still figuring out how to communicate as effectively as he wants to, but you can feel that emotion in him when he's talking. And that's been so awesome for me to watch in these post games on these off days and these pregame pressers is just to watch Giannis speak about the way he loves this game and the way he loves this moment and how he's embracing it and to watch him defensively do what he's doing. I think those have been the two two things that have been illuminated for me in these NBA finals. I mean, that, that recovery block the other night that everyone was going crazy over, um, comparing it to the LeBron block, uh-huh. maybe it's better, maybe it's not, who cares? He was facing the wrong way, pivoted, elevated, and put away a seven-footer. Like, it was absolutely they just freakish, just abs- made no sense. Like a human being should not the, be able to do that. The athleticism at that size. To be able it's to so do special. It it's so special. And I think sometimes that athleticism comes off more on the defensive end for Giannis. It's been really enjoyable. Yeah, I'm with you. So official prediction though, Suns, Suns and seven. Suns and seven. I'm, I'm going to keep that. Pre- I, I think if you ask me what I think is going to happen, I think that's the case as well. Even though if I were betting it, I would probably take the value with the Bucks. But I, I do think, I think it's home team wins every game here. Uh, Matt, uh, I hate to do this to you. No, I'm not ready. To, I'm not ready. I know you're not ready, but call me in a year. Maybe I'll put be a ready minute. Then. Put a minute on the clock and put the put the jersey in the rafters. Uh, we need you to say goodbye to Duncan Keith for us. Oh, it's been tough, Joe. It was. It, it's been a tough couple days. Uh, Duncan Keith, my my favorite Blackhawk of them all. Um, it's it's it, you kind of saw it coming, especially it kind of leaked out a few weeks ago, about a month that he wanted to be closer to his kid, which him wanting out is absolutely the right decision for him and his family and with where he's at in his career, probably playing for Edmonton might be the better choice. And quite honestly, it's probably better for the Hawks to not have a 38 year old defenseman, you know, a little bit over the hill, um, at that kind of cap hit. But I don't know. He's, he's, he's meant kind of everything to the Hawks. He's been their most important player. I think I've said throughout this entire dynasty run, uh, I hope he gets one more chance to with, with Edmonton to make a good run and be his old self, and I think he has a chance to be motivated now, but it hurts, Joe. It hurts. I'm going to miss the guy. Can't it wait hurts, to see. But his, his jersey should you be cannot, retired you cannot, the second he retires. 100%. And words can't 
capture what Duncan Keith meant to the city of Chicago and to those cup teams. They don't happen without him. Um, he was again one of the guys there early. He was one of the guys. He was the first. He was the first guy. He was. He was the guy. I believe. I believe he came up before Seabrook. He was the one that was was on the roster first. He was as good as Patrick Kane is, and he's he's Patrick Kane will go down as the best, most talented Blackhawk of all time. As good as Jonathan Taves is, as good as Marion Hosa was. That team went as Duncan Keith went when he was playing his best hockey. Yep. Was when they were winning Stanley Cups. It's not I a mean, coincidence that you know he, he won the Norris the first time they won the Stanley Cup. As he won good the as Nor- it yeah. gets, as good as it gets, as in terms of a two way defender, yeah. like it, as good as it gets, and that again, like we like we talked about the McGregor conversation. That's in history. Nothing changes that. That's mm-hmm. stamped in time. That is minted in gold. That jersey will be in the rafters, but in order to get back to where you want to go as an organization, you cannot move forward with sentimentality. And I'm and I'm glad to see that the Blackhawks were willing to move forward without sentimentality. Get this guy what he wants. Send him somewhere he wants to be. Mm-hmm. And, it was, send the, and and most importantly, send the money with him. Yeah, it we're was, not eating any of that contract. It was a, it was a necessary move in moving forward as a franchise. It's. It was the as much as it hurts to say trading Duncan Keith was the right move. He was yeah. a thirty-eight year old is a thirty-eight year old defenseman. If he's not thirty-eight, he I believe he will be on opening night next year, making five and a half million. Who just I love him. He's not a top pairing defenseman anymore, at least not in this current situation with this current coach and coaching scheme. Maybe he can get that if he finds a little motivation in Edmonton. But it's really hard to be a thirty-eight year old who yeah. quite ultimately relied on a lot of his speed and his skating skill. That That's not something that gets better with age. Um, his metrics were down the last few years. I think that's partially because of how bad the Blackhawks were and how bad their, their forward core was. Uh, I, I don't think that was necessarily a reflection on him. But it was time to move on from him. They did. Now they have the money to go after a Seth Jones or go after a Dougie Hamilton in free agency and get the next not Duncan Keith, but next one, top pairing 1A defenseman. You like that, that? Franchise hasn't had him since Duncan Keith. You like that little move there, getting Seth Jones' brother, a little, little, little finassis move? You, I don't you bring think. In, I you don't bring think, in finassis, hope Giannis follows or something? I, I don't <laughs> think that's the only reason they went after him, but I also <laughs> don't think that's a coincidence. Don't hate it. I don't, don't hate, hate it. it. Uh, Matt, I'm sorry to have put you through that's that emotional okay. moment. That's, that's okay. Matt's Hockey Minute here on the Moose and Roots podcast. I needed to get Episode it over with. 214. Uh, you got anything else for the people before we say goodbye? I know you're, you're, uh, you're, heart, you're heart-strung right now. You're, you're, you're heartbroken. So yeah, I'm do, flustered. Do we, need, no, no. Do, we need to, do we need to talk about something else to put you out on a positive note here? What's another coffee you like? What's another cup of coffee? Oh, like? I, don't, is I good, don't know. That's not great. Is it a good, is it a good cup of coffee? Yeah. Uh, how about a, a, a no? Not really. You I know, think we covered them all. We got the, we got the best cups of coffee. Yeah, I think I think you got the best cups of coffee. Sunday there. morning. I think you could just you could just say Sunday morning, Joe. Sunday, Sunday morning cup of coffee while you read the news. I guess we don't really read the newspaper much anymore. But while you're while um, you're flipping through the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. How, how about a how about a Friday morning cup of coffee? You know, it's it's a summer Friday. You know, you got a nice weekend ahead of you. you know, maybe a lighter day at work. Nice little cup of coffee to kick off a Friday. Maybe you maybe get some stuff done, and you, you know you're going to shut the laptop maybe a little bit early. How about that? That's a good cup of coffee. I like I like the four p.m. cup of coffee too. Really, just take you. I'm a sneaky good cup of coffee. 
the before bed coffee. Love a coffee before bed. I, I have no, I have no problems. I could, I, could I have no problem. You drink a double espresso and go to sleep for ten hours. I have no problem getting to sleep after a coffee. It's just when I'm like at night, I'm never really craving coffee. Mm. I have no problem getting that. hot with coffee. You. I can, I can a hot coffee and a, coffee. a little biscotti, a little cup of cookie, a little, a little something to nibble on before bed. Come on. Oh, I love the cookie. Give Come me, on. Give me any kind of cookie before bed, but it's the coffee. <laughs> I just, I don't need a hot cup of coffee right before I lay. It doesn't, doesn't jump out at me. That's Coffee Talk here on uh, the Moose and Runes Podcast, episode 214. As always, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. We will have full breakdowns. Uh, we might have an NBA champion by the next time we speak. We might have a – we will have an open champion to talk about uh, next week. If That's we champion golfer of the year, Champion Joe. golfer of the year. Thank How you. dare British you. British Open Simple the whole time. podcast. Uh, we will have plenty to talk about next week. Look for that podcast earlier in the week, as we said. But for now, he is Matt. I am Joe. Hit us up at Moose and Runes on Twitter. Send us your mailbags because there will be a little period here before we get into the training camp. But we're going to need you to drive the podcast. Give us some football stuff, guys. Let us win Give us some football stuff. Football stuff. It's, it's time, it's time for it's time for my brain to break again. And it's yes, so I nice to not have to talk about the Bears, but don't ask about do it again. Fields MVP odds. I, I already am going to play the future on. We know it's going to win MVP. <laughs> Let's skip that one. Uh, and with that, we say goodbye to this episode 214 of the Moose and podcast. He's Matt. I'm Joe. Talk to you guys next week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>